Hey y'all, welcome to A Little Juju Podcast, the podcast that is all about spirituality, black ass spirituality, honoring our ancestors, and cultivating our inherent ass juju that we all carry in order to get to freedom. I'm your host, Juju, and today we're going to have an episode review, well, a show review. I'm going to be reviewing the Netflix show Siempre Bruja, or the English version, Always a Witch. Whew, baby, let's get into it. We're going to drop this intro and just get it in. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is, all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Camfer, no say. And I'll never give it play. I'll take your photos to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from a bay to make them stay. Cause I hate when Bailey's, but I manifest a little with my Bailey's. I'm my ancestors, baby. So I give them everything that they gave me. Okay, okay. Wow, y'all. I am like mildly disheveled <laughs> right now because I just had some bomb ass sex and I didn't plan on having sex. I didn't think that was part of my day, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. And I was like, no, I have to record this podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, hey, um, <laughs> so rewind I went to church today and it was actually really 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 good um, I haven't been to church in a little minute and I don't go to church obviously you know I'm not a Christian person I don't believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord or Savior but I really enjoy the fellowship I enjoy um, the music I enjoy spaces where black people are being super spiritual and I know that I can get a message out of anything. I, I don't care what kind of sermon it is, what kind of church, what denomination, what religion. I will get something that I can use to benefit my life that aligns with my destiny from anything. And so my spirit was just like, I want to go to church. So I decided to go to church and it was so wow. First of all, it was an LGBT um, Q affirming church. So like it was pre- predominantly black and it was predominantly LGBT. So, I mean, it just felt, I haven't been to a church where I walked in and literally felt like my personhood was affirmed in this new way. But I also like felt God there, you know, like I believe in God. I believe in, you know, the source. I believe in community. And I just felt all of that, that, that energy was present. Like the ancestors were present in that space and it was very beautiful. And, you know, the only thing that was kind of annoying at first was like, it was their, um, fifth year anniversary of like the church being, you know, up and running and they had a guest pastor and the pastor was white. And I was like, now, I didn't care. This is my first time coming to church in this long, and I'm about to listen to a white pastor when normally, like, the pastor is black. But I will say, 
that white pastor, he did his little, he did his little thing. You know, I'll give him credit. He did his little thing. I left feeling inspired. And he actually like picked from one of the most like heterosexist <laughs> stories in the Bible, which is Adam and freaking Eve. And, but he really broke it down in this way and like addressed like the years of, of, of misogyny that's in that particular text and, um, just like the patriarchy that's present and like blaming Eve for, you know, making Eve look like she's nothing, uh, but then blaming her for everything when, you know, Adam and Eve ate the apple. And then I don't know if you know the Adam and Eve story. If you don't, it's, you know, it's whatever, but yeah, it's, it's, it was, I really enjoyed myself. And then, you know, because of the 50 year anniversary, like they was doing special shit and then they had a whole, you know, meal after. So it was really good. Like I had a, I had a really, really productive, good day. And then I just like had some bomb sex. Like what? I got my spirit, you know, my spirit was feeling good. You know, my, I wear my leckes, of course. The leckes are sacred beads um, that you get when you're in a, you know, in the Orisha tradition. So I had my leckes on in church. And, you know, some certain things that were said was just kind of like, eh. but for the most part, I actually see myself. I could go back. I could go back. I would go back. I, I might go back next Sunday. Um, the energy was just so good. And the people were so, so good and loving and welcoming and just affirming of just all different kinds of people. And I think if you're going to be a church, you know, that you should at least have those tenets if you're going to be preaching like about, you know, Jesus who yeah, he, he wasn't really my thing. My thing is like, my friend was asking me today. He was like, so, you know, how do you interpret sermons not being Christian, but like wanting to go to church? And it's like, well, I interpret it. I change. I, the general message is just a message. Like the same way you see a movie and there's a, there's a, a message behind it. The same way you go have, go to a church service. There's a message. This It's just the message, which it's just, which just rings true regardless of like what God you're talking about. Like I can just take the general sentiment of what you're trying to offer and move with that. So he's telling me like, you know, like he's like, I fuck with Jesus. Like he seems like a cool dude. He's not Christian either. Um, but he's like, no, Jesus was definitely cool. Like I believe that he existed, blah, blah, blah. And that he was like, he did some like cool shit and like had some decent politics. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I think so too. But for me, it's more so the fact of like, like in church today, they would like refer to the congregation, like the preacher or whoever was singing would be like Israel, like respond, like Israel, da da da, like calling the people of Jesus, the people of God, Israel. And that's common. You know, we're, we're, you know, in Christianity, we're descendants of Abraham. They are descendants of Abraham. So, you know, and living in Israel and, and so for me, it's just like, okay, no matter how cool Jesus was, you know, we have ancestral ties to a land somewhere that was not Israel of people who were prophets and people who were cool too. People who did like really radical things, people who, people who were trying to preach, you know, a word of, of God or a Supreme or the source. We, we have those things and those people and those deities and whatever that exist in our own bloodlines, in our own lineage. Like my people, I'm not a descendant of Abraham. I'm not. And so Jesus was saying cool shit to his people, just like 
where all my people were from, all the different nations that that I'm a part of had people who were spreading that same shit. And so I'm more interested in finding out who those people were. I'm more, and, and I do know who some of those people were, like even including the Orishas, like the Orishas are Yoruba people. Like, and so if you have Yoruba blood, you know what I'm saying? So like we, we have relation and connection to our own prophets and deities. And so I'm not interested in taking away necessarily from, anyone else but I don't understand for me why I would look to you know a prophet of Israel I'm not Israeli I'm not Jewish I'm not that's not what makes it my bloodline we all have different cultural understandings and I'm, I'm more interested in what culturally runs through me and through my blood and, and I don't have no relation to, to Jesus so that's my whole thing um yeah, I just want to center like blackness in every aspect of my life, including my spiritual choices and practices and religions and who I call a prophet and who I, who I say is trying to save me. And so, yeah, that on top of a lot of other things, why I'm not Christian, but that's like kind of my main thing when people are like, nah, but he seems cool. Like, why wouldn't you, you know, he seemed like a cool dude, meaning Jesus. But yeah, that's my main thing. So, but anyway, besides being referred to as like Israel. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time. It was a good service. I felt good. I felt loved on. The music was bomb. I shed like three thug tears. Even the white preacher, you know, he really kind of unearthed Adam and Eve in this interesting way. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed myself. I had a good day. And that's that's that. All you need is a little juju. So let's talk about how you can help support a little juju podcast, which is supporting the stories and the work of our ancestors, which is supporting our collective healing, our collective return and reclamation of our spiritual traditions and, and sharing that through through oral tradition and oral history. And so donating to me is donating to if you believe in, in this work, in this spiritual work. And so, um, so the first option that I have is Patreon. And so Patreon for the new listeners is a site where you can donate to the podcast monthly. I'm asking for a donation of $3 a month. You can do more than that. You can do less than that on Patreon, but, um, it is a way to, uh, monetarily support me to be able to continue to record, um, to continue to have the tools and, and products and accessories and, and electronics and everything that I need to be able to produce a good show. Um, and including like my spiritual, my spiritual stuff that I need to do as well. Um, the, the money goes towards that. It is not pocketed for my everyday life. Um, even though I think it can be, it could be, <laughs> but it's not, it goes all towards my spiritual wellness, um, at, at the show. So, um, the other way that you can donate is through, um, through PayPal, um, which is thejujubay at, at uh, gmail.com. But actually, let me talk about the Patreon for a minute because I, I do have some new patrons this month who pledged to donate. So the first person is Trinice. Trinice is my homegirl. I love Trinice. So thank you so much, Mama, for donating. Um, Morgan Ashley became a patron. Thank you so much, Morgan. And I also got a pledge from SJ. So thank you. I appreciate y'all. I appreciate you sharing 
the energy of money with me it is not it does not go unnoticed i'm truly so 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 grateful because honestly i can't do the show without without monetary support it wouldn't be able to sustain so being a monthly patron means a lot to me and so i am mustering up all the good juju that i have and sending it back to you and that all the money that you have donated to me may it come back to you 10 times over 10 times over 10 times over and I speak that as someone who has the power of manifestation, boo. So get your coins, get your coins. <laughs> so thank y'all so much. Thank y'all who hit me up and donate to me on the Cash App, the PayPal, the Patreon. I really, really appreciate it. There's other ways to support the podcast too. I have a book list, um, which is um, the link in my Instagram bio, but I will also put it in the show notes. And it's basically books that I want to talk about on the show. It's books that will help inform my spiritual practices. It's books that will help me study on my way to becoming a priestess and that I need to do my studies. And um, so if you would like to support in that way, you can always buy me a book from my Amazon wish list. It'll get sent right to me. You just got to buy it and it'll come right to me. Um, shout out to my friend Texas Isaiah and my friend Toya for buying me my first books. And I have them now. So thank y'all so much. Um, and then lastly, another way to support the podcast is rating and subscribing on whatever platform that you're listening. If you are on Apple Podcasts, giving me five stars and writing comments and just putting the word out there, telling your friends, sharing the podcast, sharing it on social media, saying how great it is, talking about what you learned. You can always hashtag a little juju podcast. And yeah, let's just get people listening. Let's get people in this community. Um, I learn about so many people and meet really great people when y'all post and like y'all message me and say how much you appreciate the podcast and you post about it. I love and appreciate that so much because I do this for y'all. Like I do this for people. I do this because I have information and it's crucial that, you know, who I am, that I have this information as a black spiritualist who has elders, who have people like teaching me and, and training me and grooming me that I share what I can with others so that we all, cause we all are a part of this. We all have gifts and we all can unlock, we all can unlock our, our, our innate gifts, our innate magic, our innate medicines. So I want us to do that. It's crucial. Um, so that's why I ask for donations. That is why I appreciate when you all um, talk about the podcast. And that's why it's important to, to donate in whatever ways that you can, whether monetary or outside of that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I love y'all so much and appreciate all the good juju that you sent me and I'm sending it right back to you. Ashe. All you need is a little juju. I want to kind of get into... Oh. Actually, let me just name that today 21 Savage was arrested by ICE also. And my phone has been blowing up as if like my man went to jail. Like y'all, people just know that I love 21 Savage. Like people are hitting my phone like, did you hear what happened to 21 Savage? People are sending me the links, tagging me. Like, I really feel like this is my man. Ain't that y'all understand that that's my man? It's so important. <laughs> um, But yeah, it's fucked up. It's, it's like people are laughing about it and it's not funny. Like ice... Is anti-black, and for those who don't know what ICE is, um, ICE is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So basically, they're the motherfuckers that like enforce immigration laws 
So clearly people who are very violent and enforce laws that are inhumane and are all about nationalism and uh, locking up people who are quote unquote, as they would probably refer to them as like aliens, uh, meaning people not of this, this land, <laughs> which who the fuck is of this land? What? What? They're just, the, the concept of ICE is just built on some shit that doesn't make any sense. Um, what's, what's that phrase? Like who, who can, who is an owner on stolen land? Who is the, I don't remember it, but just, yeah, that's why. So 21 Savage was arrested by ICE. And so my prayers are going out to, fuck, all the people who are continuously arrested by ICE, especially in Chicago. ICE is super heavy here just because of the heavy, like, immigrant population, like, specifically folks like Latinx folks and, like, Mexican folk is, like, heavy because, um, like, Chicago's very neighborhood heavy, so there's, like, this is the Puerto Rican neighborhood. This is the Dominican neighborhood. This is the Mexican neighborhood. This is the black neighborhood. This is the, like, continental African neighborhood. This is the... So, you know, ICE is pretty heavy in, in the different immigrant uh, locations and, and neighborhoods here. Like, just be doing wild shit. So, this just goes to show that, one, you know, oftentimes black people are left out of the critiques and understandings of what ICE does because we think about, like, oh, that only affects we'll say like, oh, that only affects like Latino people. And then in our brains, we say that Latino people are only like brown people, but like black people are also deeply affected by ICE and also face deportation. I mean, Haitian folks, it's some wild shit going on. It's some wild shit. It's just some wild immigration shit going on. It affects black people. And so we have to, when we're talking about immigration, like we have to include black people in that, those discussions or we're doing a disservice so this shows that ice is anti-black and on top of that um money when you are a black person does not save you from the state it does not save you from going to jail as we know it does not save you from um being detained by ice it just does like 21 savage is a millionaire and yet he was arrested by ice for being from the uk allegedly and he's here illegally because I don't know his visa expired or whatever when we know that the whole process takes a really long time and a lot of time a lot of white people are in in uh the states from the UK on expired visas because I know people who are but ICE is not going after white folks like ICE is going after black and brown people who are not from quote-unquote the United States and arresting them and detaining them and keeping them in jail-like facilities with with nothing with nothing so 21 Savage is still not rich enough, you know, to protect him from, from ICE. So ICE is anti-black and ICE doesn't give a fuck about how much money you have, especially if you are black. So, you know, prayers up for 21. And, you know, I know that if I got Bay, I know if I got Bay. So he's going to be okay. I trust that and I know that. And... You know, just prayers up in general for just that this system is just, this system was built on faulty ground. And so it's crumbling every moment, but people are still being harmed by it a lot. And so it's our duty, and I feel like it's my duty in a lot of ways to liberate us from these systems. And, and the one way that I can offer is through like a spiritual understanding 
and like honoring our, our people, honoring our ancestors, honoring our deities that that basically like wakes them up so that they can they can fight for us, that they can, you know, we speak their name so that they can continue to do all the work that they're doing on the on the other side and in their realm to assist us on this realm. Um, because for so long they've been forgotten and we haven't called their names. We've called on other deities. We've called on other religions, not of our people. And so when our people are slaughtered, when our people are going through shit, they don't, they don't get elevated. They don't get uplifted because they're forgotten. You know, if you've seen Moana, you know, you understand how important it is to remember the dead and remember where you come from. Um, because if, when we don't, they become, they, you know, they, they disappear or they, they sleep or, you know, however you want to refer to it, but I'm going on a tangent. Prayers up to 21 Savage Bay Shia. That's 21's real name, if you didn't know. And I just went on a whole tangent. That was not expected, but hey, shit. Spirit had spirit needed me to say that, so I had to say that. Um But yeah, prayers up. Let's Let's dismantle this shit, y'all. I'm so ready. I'm so, so, so ready. Let's do it. All you need is a little juju. Okay. Let's talk about Siempre Bruja. Always a Witch. So Always a Witch dropped on February 1st. Um, it got a lot of hype from a lot of folks, obviously, that I know that are in, like, the black spiritualist kind of community. We was like, oh, my God, a show about a Afro-Latinx black you know, a woman who is a witch. This is like what we've been waiting for. We needed a show centered around a black, a black woman witch. And, you know, there was so much buzz about it. I was really, really excited to, to just have a show. And, you know, I've wanted to do reviews on, um, on them other witch shows that I can't think of right now. Um, American Horror Story and Sabrina and I kind of got into American Horror Story but not enough to like do a review and then I've still never watched Sabrina which I know I should because everyone's like oh my god you would love you know whoever the two black girls are in it I don't remember I don't know I'm not much of a TV person but anyway but I was like no I'm gonna watch Siempre Bruja it's you know it's February 1st it's Black History Month like let's turn up Black Witches where you at and so Hmm. <laughs> I'm really trying to find the words. So basically, I, I watched episodes one through three. So I have not finished the series. I wanted to start off with just kind of doing episodes one through three. There will be spoilers in this. So if you are trying to watch it, you should probably not listen to this. Or if you don't care about spoilers, then... You can listen to this and watch it, or you can wait until after you watch it. Um, so the story, like I said, is about a black, you know, Afro-Latinx woman. And it starts off in, it says Cartanga in 1646. And so Cartanga, I'm sorry, I keep, I wrote it down wrong. It's Cartagena or Cartagena. I don't know which one it is. Um, but which is in Colombia, which is in South America. And it also says that there are some, um, there's territories in Central America, but it's, it's, it's a South American 
That's where Colombia is. So the story takes place in Colombia in Cartagena, Hena. I don't know. I'm so sorry. My Spanish is not too good right now. And um, it starts off with the main character named Carmen. So Carmen is the Afro-Latinx woman. She's 18 years old. And we actually see her being burned at the stake by what we're, we assume to be the Catholic Church because of how the person that's like condemning her is dressed. And also knowing during that time, I believe the Spanish... Yeah, the Spanish fucking invaded Colombia. So, and so thus with the Spain with Spain came Catholicism. But they actually never name it that, which I thought was interesting. Like they never say, to my knowledge, like anything like on behalf of the Catholic or Catholicism or anything. But anyway, we literally see sis being burned at the stake um, while she's being condemned for being a witch. And it's like you've been using herbs and. You've been doing magic and shit and like, so we have to kill you because that's the devil. And so that's sort of where we start off when we turn on Simply Bluha. And then we see her. Um, she then is in a. I think it like the scene goes to how she kind of got to that point. And so we see that she, um, basically was sold, you know, she was an enslaved woman. And while she was on the, the, the auction block, you know, the guys telling her like, yeah, she's good with this and that. And you know how they did our ancestors talking about all the things that would make someone want to buy her. Um, this white boy like it's like kind of long his shoulder length brown hair he's like looking at her and like sort of like we're supposed to understand it as in this humane way like wow like she's great and like he kind of signals his dad like oh we need to buy this one and like he he and um carmen the make the black woman the main character are looking you know she's looking at him like oh like you want to buy me and he's like come on dad we gotta buy her and it was sick. This this part was sick. I mean, it was just supposed to like set us up for this kind of love tale. And I'm like, stop. I don't want that to be set up on the auction block. You know, like that's just deeply, if nothing else, in a fucking appropriate and inaccurate. Like there was, I, I, who is literally being sold into enslavement and being talked about as if they are less than subhuman, but yet has this like, we're supposed to understand this like moment of like potential love or connection while on the auction block with this random white boy who tells his dad to buy her because he likes her. So then it kind of goes into like her being in the hospital and we realize, you know, this was in 1646 what we're seeing. Oh, and they also describe her as an 18 year old mulatto. I didn't, I don't know if I said that. So then it kind of goes into her like being in the hospital and um, being taken care of like in in 2019. So throughout the whole series, or at least the three episodes, I assume the whole series, it's kind of going back and forth between 1646 and 2019. So she has flashbacks a lot about, you know, what was going on in 1646 and how she got into 2019. So long story short, she's in the hospital and um 
the the nurse is like, what happened? How did you get here? What's going on? Like, why are your feet burned? You know, she had on an outfit from 1646, like the dress that she had on. And she's like, um, I don't know where I am, but I'm a healer. So if you just give me some aloe vera and some garlic and some da-da-da-da, I can heal this. And she's like, um, oh, the doctor, you know, everyone's kind of looking at her. The nurses are, and the doctors are looking at her like she's odd. You know, she's clearly a little off. And I mean, yeah, she's from 1646. So, um, later we go to the police end up like, trying to question her or look for her because she's saying she doesn't know how she got these wounds and, you know, cause she genuinely didn't remember. Um, but anyway, what I found interesting in this part was that when she was in the hospital, she says like, Omi tutu, ona tutu, which is a way that a lot of Orisha practitioners open divination or open any kind of ceremony. Like they start with Omitutu Onatutu. And, and I, fa- I thought it was interesting that she was, whatever her spell was, like she says that spell when she's trying to do something. So when she said that, like all the lights like went out in the hospital so she could run away and like the power was flickering and it was like this moment of chaos. And it's like, okay, so there's a moment of chaos happening when you're literally saying like cool head, like cool spirits. Like when people say Omitutu, like you're, you're talking about like, bringing coolness and like peace and like harmony to whatever you're doing and like honoring like honoring your honoring the waters and and honoring just like coolness and remaining like chill in the face of like bullshit and like wanting everything to be cool so like it's weird that they used a a prayer that would invoke that to then mean that shit is going awry in the hospital. So I thought that was kind of weird. Um, so then it kind of goes back again to 1646 and we see, you know, more into how she kind of connected with this white boy that, you know, her slave owner's son. Um, and it, and it goes back and we see that she, before she was actually burned at the stake, She's being condemned because the mom essentially blames. So the mom catches her son, the white boy and Carmen. I don't know his name, child. I'm not invested in at this moment and trying to figure it out. But the mom sees, you know, Carmen and her son like kissing and stuff. And they outside, you know, they have a secret spot. And, you know, because obviously it's illegal and just completely unheard of for a, for a black woman to be with, you know, a, a slave owner or a slave owner's son. The mom catches them. She's like, oh, hell no. Arrest her guards. And I know she's a witch. My son would never love you. So I know you put a spell on him. Blah, 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 blah. So that's how she ends up being burned at the stake. Um, But in that moment while she's at, like about to be burned and they're condemning her and asking her like, yo, you're a witch. Like we're about to kill you. She's like, I haven't done anything wrong. The son, you know, the white boy, he had to save the day. He's all, she's not a witch. She, she blah, 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 blah. And the mom's like, no, she's the devil. She wrote a note to my son. How can a slave write? Slaves can't write. And slaves can't write. The devil is like using her hands to be able to write. And everyone's like, yeah, bruja, bruja, bruja. And the son's like, no, she can read and write because I taught her how to read and write. And I love her. And 
if this religion doesn't accept her or accept our love, then I denounce this religion. So obviously that's a big deal. Everyone's like, gasp. And his father, Carmen's owner, his dad, the husband of the woman who caught them like kissing and cahootling and all that, who, whatever. He's like, my son will not, what he say? Something like, my son will not give his life to the devil. Because the son was like, look, I denounce this religion and y'all can kill me too. And Carmen's like, no, no, no. I feel like his name is like Crystal all of a sudden. The Crystal, I don't remember. She's like, no, no, no. Like, you don't need to die too. He denounces the religion. The dad shoots him. So Carmen breaks down. She's like, oh my God, y'all killed my man. Like, so all of this is obviously really awkward because we are just supposed to understand this relationship as like some sort of innocent love. And like, we know on the surface level, an enslaved person loving, you know, uh, someone who owns your body is like, is quote unquote, like, like that can't happen. Like we're supposed to understand like, it's this like unrequited love thing, but it does it in this way that it's just so, because we know that, that there's, there's no autonomy for an enslaved woman to love an, a, a master. Like there's no actual, no autonomy in that. But we're supposed to just view it as like some sort of innocent love or two people who just want to love each other and they just can't because of th- these systems that have been created, which that's not enough for me. That's not enough. So, I mean, I think this, matter of fact, let me just keep going. So we're supposed to understand that as, you know, that's her love. He's shot. Like, he's dead. Okay. So then we kind of cut to this scene of her being in a jail cell. So I, I, I don't quite understand how she ended up being burned at the stake at the beginning. But then she was in a jail cell. Like, <laughs> I thought she died. <laughs> Like, I don't understand because it was a lot of like, okay, 1646, now we're in 2019, now we're 1646, now we're 2019. So I'm trying to like keep it kind of orderly for y'all to explain this. But like low key, I was going back watching like, wait, how she burned at the stake but then ended up in a jail cell. So anyway, she ends up in this jail cell and she realizes that there's another, there's a white guy up in there on the other side of the wall in his own cell. And he's talking to her and he's like, wait, I heard, I thought witches don't cry, blah, 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 blah. And anyway, she realizes that he is like this really, really powerful wizard. Like he helps her levitate. He's like, you know, repeat after me. Omi tutu, omi tutu. And she starts levitating and he's like, you know, do you want to get out of here? She's like, of course I want to get out of here. But most importantly, I want to, I want my love. I want to be reunited with my man. He's like, okay, basically I can get you reunited with your man. I can take you back in time before he got shot so you can stop that from happening and so he will be alive. Like I can't bring someone dead from the dead back to life, but I can take you back in time or I know how to be able to take you back in time to stop, completely stop that situation from happening and change the course of history. So he's like, how much are you willing to risk? She was like, I'll risk it all for him. So he's like, okay, bet. I need you... There's this um this stone I have. I need you to give it to this person named Nineveh. What was it, Nineveh? Ninibe? Ninibe? Yeah. 
So she's like, okay. He's like, look, you're a witch. Where you're going, you can't be practicing your magic like that. It's not going to be safe for you because there's this person named Lucian who is a witch hunter, long story short. So like Lucian is around. You can't, where you're about to go, don't be just using your magic because people are going to be looking for you. Lucian, it could be very dangerous. She's like, I'm willing to risk it all to get my man back. Boom. So he gives her the stone. And so then that's when we kind of see her back in 2019. And, um, you know, without giving all the details, she's in 2019 and she's like walking around trying to find what to do. She's in a completely new, I mean, she's in 2019. She was alive in the 1600s. So clearly it's a stark difference. She's moving different. She don't know what half the shit is. She's seeing phones. She's like, what the hell is that? What are computers? She ends up going to the place that she used to, to serve as an enslaved woman, where she used to live as an enslaved woman. So this is still in Cartagena, but this is in 2019. So the same She knows where she is, but obviously everything looks completely different. So she goes to the house where she used to, you know, meet up with her boo and where she worked as an enslaved woman. And right at this point, it's a hostel. So she meets um, the grandson of the hostel owner and then she meets the hostel owner, this older woman. Um, And she's like, hey, um, I'm just looking for Nineveh or Nineveh and the grandmother's like oh yeah she works at I'm assuming it's a small town she works at the university or maybe she says that to the grandson I don't know so she ends up going to the university um to find Nineveh to give her the stone so that she can go back in time back in her time and stop the the shooting from happening anyway she meets she meets Nineveh and like Nineveh is this um, science teacher. She's a biology teacher at the school. Um, And also before she meets Nineveh, she kind of sees this girl riding on a bike. And you can tell that she's going to be an important character later. Like she has this moment of like staring at her ride on the bike and the camera's on her for a while. And it's like, okay, so clearly this is another important character. So anyway, she meets Nineveh. Nineveh's like, oh my God, you are... You are going to set... Oh, see, so I didn't tell y'all. So, Aladdin Mar is the name of the white man in um, who was in jail with her in 1646. Because he was a wizard. But he can't die. I, this is so important. He cannot die. They've tried to burn him at the stake. They've tried to uh, exercise whatever, the, the spirits out of him. Whatever. He he's he's living. He he can't die. But he needs to be freed. And so in order for him to be freed, he needs the stone Nineveh needs to have the stone. So that's why she took the stone to Nineveh. And so once he's free, then she'll be able to go back in time and, and get her love back. So um she meets Nineveh, Nineveh's a a, a, a biology teacher and and she's kind of like are you a witch too she's asking Nineveh about that she's like well we don't call ourselves witches anymore we're do- we call ourselves doctors like we are biologists we are botanists and i really did appreciate that part because that's so so true and not that people don't call themselves witches anymore but that the concept of what it meant to be a medicinal doctor back in 1646 or even back in the eight even back 
in like the the nineteen hundreds, shit. The fucking the thirties, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties. Um, people understood themselves as as doctors, and and I've said on the podcast before, herbal quote unquote magic and spirituality was not separate from our lives, our physical lives. It was not separate from our health. It was not separate from medicine. It was not a root doctor is a root doctor. That's someone who works the roots to make people feel well and to heal. And so, you know, when she uplifted, like, well, we don't call ourselves witches. We're doctors. Like, we're biologists. We're botanists. It was like, yeah, that's that secularism doesn't need to exist. And, you know, witches are doctors. You know, witches are healers. Healers are in so many different professions. So that was a cute little thing that I did like. I did appreciate that. Um, so she gives sis the stone and then like five minutes later, she gone like this black spirit, which was, we're supposed to understand as malevolent, probably Lucian. We're assuming because a Lucian is already has been set up as the person who is like the protagonist or the villain. So this black energy like sucks her up and she's just gone and she disappears so, um, now, so the story kind of unfolds from this point of like, okay, what happened to Nineveh? She disappears when this like black girl comes. And it's also important for me to note that none of the characters, okay, besides one is black besides Carmen. So Carmen is the main character. She's the only black person. All the people that she's interacting with are white Latinx people, period. Besides one, um, Alicia's friend. So Alicia is the girl who Carmen kind of was staring at on the bike. And so it was set up before Nineveh died. Nineveh is kind of like, okay, so to do the ritual, to be able to get you, to take you back to 1646, I need my disciple to come. And so it was actually set up that we think that this woman, this girl who was also a student at the university, um, is the disciple of Nineveh who can help Nineveh, who is also a witch who can help her, um, go back in time. But essentially we realized that she's not like, I don't know. So episode three. So like, we don't know who she is, but there's something with her. Um, but later we, we, the story unfolds that we still got to free Aladamar from the jail and we have to still have to defeat Lucian so that she can go back in time. And now Nineveh's dead. So then in episode two, she gets questioned. Carmen gets questioned by the police because she was one of the last people to talk to Nineveh because she had just given her the stone when that happened. And so eventually she moves into that hostel with the, you know, where she used to live and she actually stays in the same room where she used to stay when she was enslaved. Cause I, I guess she was a house slave. I don't know, but she stayed in that same room. and was like, oh, I used to stay here. Um, I just need a room. I can wash y'all's clothes. I know how to pluck chickens. I know cause she was an enslaved woman. So she knows how to do all those things. She's like, please, I, I don't have any money for you, but I can do all these things. And the woman's like, okay, yeah, you can stay here. So she basically, I'm not trying to say she was like enslaved again, but like she's literally staying in the same room. 
And she's staying there because of the services that she can do for white people. Again. It was just kind of like, oh, okay. So yeah, she moves into the hostel and she kind of gets closer to the grandson who she met initially. And he's kind of like this like quirky, kind of kooky person. Later we realize he's like sings in a, in a rock band. He's just kind of, he smokes cigarettes and sells weed, but his grandma doesn't know. Like he's just supposed to be like this like alternative kind of goofy character. And anyway, this girl is in the, in the room doing her magic like she's not supposed to be doing. She's levitating in her room and the grandson sees her and records it on the phone. And so she is, so that's another issue that we have like, okay, so now someone has caught her practicing magic, which she shouldn't be doing anyway. So it goes through, she basically enrolls in this weird way into the university and she has this weird connection with Alicia, Alicia and, um, we meet Alicia's friend who was this other black person. This, yeah, this is the only other black person. He doesn't have a major role, but he's there. And, um, they go to this party together and it's kind of awkward because it's the beginning of the school. Well, it's not the beginning of the school year. It's like a few weeks into the school year. She's late. She's not being bullied, but she's definitely, I mean, she's weird. She's off. She's from 6046. Um, but, you know, she gets invited out by Alicia and the black boy and these two other, this one girl whose dad is like the dean of the school. And, you know, so she's kind of hanging out with like popular people, I think we're supposed to understand. But anyway, they're drinking at the party and she, the more she drinks, the more she can kind of like see into people, see people's stories, see what happened to them, see people's like past. And so she like sees um, Alicia talking to Nineveh before Nineveh dies. She sees um, this one boy get arrested who she's hanging out with. And she sees that the black boy was actually the first person that she met when she came in 20, into 2019 because she washed up on the shore. Um, and he's the one that picked her up and took her to the hospital. So we're learning all these different moments at the, at the, um, at the party. And then we also have been introduced to this, this teacher who was very weird and I don't know who, what he's, I don't know what he's given, but he's, his energy is weird. It's off. He questions Carmen a lot, but it's not complete. It's not like covert, but it's, we're supposed to watch out for him in some way. We don't know whose side he's on. We don't know what he's up to, but he's just kind of off. Um, he's just a little off. So, um, so Carmen is super interested in like Alicia and wanting Alicia to, and figuring that Alicia is probably the disciple and that Alicia is a witch. So she's like, oh my God, we have to find Nineveh. Oh my God, where is she? Oh my God, do you know this stuff? And Alicia's like, girl, I don't know what you're talking about. I have bigger problems. Like I have shit going on in my life and you keep talking about some other shit going on. So we find out that, um, I, we found we find out that Alicia is actually super concerned because her ex boyfriend is gonna put out a sex tape of her, and if it, so, she was in this abusive relationship, and he's threatening to if you don't come back to me, I will release your sex tape. And so, um, Carmen and Alicia are talking about that because um, Carmen sees Alicia in Nineveh's house. I don't know why they were going to Nineveh's house, but they were both in there. It was, it's kind of murky and weird. 
I don't know. But we find that out. And so Alicia's like, well, hey, I have a spell, basically, that can get this motherfucker to stop thinking about you. Um, and he won't put your sex tape out. Long story short, the sex tape came out. And she did the spell and it didn't work because she didn't follow it correctly. And, you know, it... <sighs> It ended up so, like, in episode three that the, um, that, that basically this ghost is summoned by, um, Carmen and the grandson of the hostel owner. And so the grandson of the hostel owner is super, like, he's trying to connect with his, his parents because they died in a boat accident. And actually, he caused the boat accident because he was driving the boat while his parents were on the boat and his parents ended up dying. Um, so he's, like, he's trying to connect with the spiritual realm in every possible way because um, spirit, I'm, I'm sorry, because he wants to talk to his parents and, like, connect with them. And... So then he gets super interested in her being a witch and her levitating because he's like, oh, you can help me connect with my spirits. And she's kind of like, I don't talk to dead people, bro. Like, sorry. Um, and so, yeah, it just becomes this whole thing of like, how is she, how, how is she going to be able to go back in time to get her love back? And so she, she ends up writing him letters and he gets it and he's like, so, oh yeah. So then we find out that he actually did not die. He survived the shot, but she doesn't know that. Carmen doesn't know that. Carmen's so busy trying to go back in time and she's in 2019. She doesn't know that he was healed from that. He didn't die. He's still alive. And so she, he's trying to figure out how to get to where she is probably in 2019, I guess. And she's trying to figure out how to go back um, to get to him. Cause she don't know that he didn't die. So, uh, yeah, it was a bunch of stuff about Ouija boards and, and, oh, let me look at my notes. <sighs> okay. Let me, let me just get to the important shit. So that's kind of what happened. The most important thing. Okay, so let me say this. I didn't hate the show like everyone else hates it. I did not completely hate the show. Do I think it missed the mark? Absolutely. It missed the mark for me. The show completely missed the mark. Even though I did not hate it. Because when I started watching it, I was on episode three. I was like, you know, I could actually finish this series and not scream. I could finish it. Because there was like funny moments. There were moments that were um, endearing. There were moments. Like there was this one moment on, I think it was episode three. So basically I said that they had summoned this ghost. So the ghost came and he was like this random spirit. And she's like, I don't even know what to do with you. You're random. But he's like helping her in school because he's like really smart. But no one else can see him. She can see him and she can communicate with him. But no one else can. Anyway, we find out that the that random spirit is actually the son of Nineveh's actual disciple. So another teacher at the university who was a witch. Her son died. 
And she says it's because of like witchcraft that it happened and because of, you know, something. But he ends, he, he committed suicide. And so he couldn't pass on to the other realm because um, his mom was blaming herself and his mom was not at peace. And her his mom was saying that she was a bad mom and all this stuff. So in order to help him cross over, and which was important that she helped him cross over to the next realm because she, her being close to like a spirit or her practicing magic would um, signal off stuff to Lucian to be able to find her and potentially kill her. So it was very dangerous for her to be interacting with a whole ass ghost. So to help him cross, she actually had to meet up with his mom and tell her like, hey, your son is here and I know you can't see him, but he said that, da 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 He said that you were a great mom. He said that you were da-da-da. And so with her accepting that, he was able to pass on. And so I think that there were moments like that within the, the show that made me feel, that made me feel like, so that's like important to know. That's like important to name. Like this importance of acknowledging our ancestors, not blaming ourselves when, you know, our, our, our people that we love die or just like whatever the stories or lies that we tell ourselves that can interfere with our ancestors crossing over. Like when we, when we like, cause they, most of the time, like if you watch these little shows and like there's mediums, most of the time the mediums are talking about, yeah, this person that, that you loved who passed, they love you. They want you to know that they're okay. They want you to know that like that is so important for our spirits to know. And so for that to be an, a crucial part of the show, I really appreciated that because it, it does speak to the ways that like how honoring and our ancestors are important and how like not blaming ourselves for them dying or like not, like just knowing that they're okay is so important in them being okay. And so I, I did like that part. But besides those moments, I, I think I'm just, and we all are just so tired of romance stories that romanticize slavery. Why do we have to, the premise of the show is trash. I don't want to see no shows about enslaved people falling in love with their masters. And it being some sort of genuine love that I'm supposed to take and understand is this beautiful thing when essentially this person, you actually see this person as subhuman. And like, I know we're supposed to understand like, oh, this individual sees this person like actually as a human and can fall in love with her. And it's, but how? What? Like, so she's traveling from 1646 to 2019 to go back to 1646 where she was a slave so that she can stop her boyfriend, quote unquote, from getting killed by his dad. So she wants to go back into slavery because love is so strong. She wants to be with this white man. What? She's choosing slavery? What kind of dick this nigga got? Like, I just, no. Yeah, and that's just, honestly, you could just tell like some white people wrote that. 
That's the first gripe that I think most people have issues with, and it's a big issue. And I understand why people have that issue. I have that issue. It's disgusting. It's trash. That is not what we wanted with this Netflix series. We did not want to see a black girl travel through time risking her life so that she can bring her white boyfriend, who actually never died, back to life. So she can go back into slavery to be in this dangerous-ass relationship with her slave owner. Slave owner's son, whatever. Same shit. Secondly, why the hell was this marketed as some, like, oh, some Afro-Latinx shit? Like, oh, yes, a black witch. Yes, yes, yes. She's the only, besides that one random guy who was Alicia's friend. Actually, it might be her brother-in-law. I don't freaking know. She And he's not a main character. She is the only black person. So we can't even get a show with like, and maybe I'm speaking too soon. You know, I only watched till episode three. So maybe some more black characters are introduced, but still they weren't introduced from the beginning. So yikes. We thought we was going to have a black witch show. It is just a black witch in a show. (laughs) Baby. Ain't no black people in that show. All of her friends, Nineveh, Alicia, Alicia. The, the the hospital owner, the grandson, the the teacher, the students in the class, the extras. Ain't it's like no black people in that damn show. Yeah, so there's no black people. She's time traveling for white slave owner dick. And the acting <laughs> The acting is not terrible. The acting was really bad at first because I was watching it. It's originally in Spanish and I was watching it with them speaking in English, like with the voice dubbed, like with English people. I mean, it's people speaking English over like their mouths moving in Spanish. That is terrible. I would recommend if you are going to watch it, watch it in Spanish with the English subtitles. That makes it a lot better. A lot. It feels a lot more authentic. It's just. Yeah, don't, don't watch it. No, don't watch it. I don't said before. Um, and, um, what else? So, yeah, I didn't think it was that bad when I watched it in Spanish. So, the, and, the, and that made the acting a lot better. I'll also say that the scenery was beautiful. <laughs> like, it was Colombia. Like, the colors... The entire time I was wishing that I was there. Like the wind is blowing perfectly. The sun is like glistening. Like it looks beautiful. It looks like the air is crisp. The water is clear. Like it looks like a place that you want to be. And I love that it was, it took place in Colombia. So I I did appreciate like the scenery and imagery of, which I think matters, you know, in a show. Like, it, it was aesthetically pleasing to watch. And, like, the main character, she's so cute. And, like, I love that she has, like, her baby hairs are, like, not laid. And they're, like, they're, like, nappy. <laughs> and that's just so underrated. Like, nobody has nappy baby hairs anymore. But, like, her baby hairs were so cute. And they're, like, little clouds on her edges. And I just loved it. And, like, I appreciate her 
Um, yeah, I think she was just, I think she was just so, so like such a sweet person to see, but it's just her character was like, girl, no, you this powerful and that's what you choose to do with your power. Go back in time to let out some white man from jail so you can go back in time to get your white slave owner boyfriend back into slavery. Like, what? No, 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 no. And we deserve more than this. We deserve more than this. This was not a step. This was a misstep. Misstep. We, I don't want, it's 29th. I don't want to see any romanticizing of slave, of love, of master and enslaved person. I don't want to see that anymore. I don't want to see a movie that they try to make seem like it's going to be a, some black ass shit when it really is just some white ass shit with a black person in it. In some white ass shit with a white ass storyline and a white ass premise. You and you sitting here talking, saying Orisha prayers. Talking about cool, cool waters, cool this, cool that. that but when that prayer happens, it caused chaos and it was scary. And it felt like it was demonizing, like witchcraft. I mean, in different points when she said that prayer, she would like levitate and like that wasn't like negative or chaotic. But like the first time that we hear her saying that prayer, fucking fuses are busting and shit and lights are flickering. It just, it, it missed, it missed the mark. And I will probably watch it completely. And But I don't know if I'm going to continue to do like reviews on each episode Unless something speaks to me that I'm like, oh shit, I need to name this. Um, but I mean, and honestly, even just starting off and seeing the first thing that we see is a black woman being burned at the stake. That's like, that's the first image. Like, what is that actually, what is that saying? What is that saying? I know they have to set the story and it's a true story. Black women were burned at the stake. Black women were lynched. Black women were murdered. They were murdered for being black. They were murdered for being subordinates, quote unquote. They were murdered for being witches because witches were seen as subordinate as women. And Witches were seen as people who wanted to um, dismantle the state and operated outside of the state and called on their own juju, their own powers, their own shit. So a black woman engaging in that shit was very dangerous for people. And so, I mean, yes. But to open the scene with that was a lot. Um, and I wouldn't say that I was triggered, but it was just like, oh, okay. Siempre bruja, here we go. Here, here it is. This is, well, this is it. And I also didn't realize that she was an enslaved person. I didn't, I don't know if that was talked about in Netflix. It didn't seem, it was just kind of like, oh, here's a black witch story. But of course... If we're going to have a story about a black person or a black woman, she has to have been a slave. She has to have been, it has to start with her being harmed and burned. And we have to watch that as entertainment. 
yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, I guess I feel fucked up saying that I want to watch the entire season, but I do. I want to see where this is, this is going to go. And, you know, this really just makes me think about, I mean, there was, Daisy um, October was saying this in one of her groups on, on Facebook. And it's something that I was thinking about too. They... There's about to be so many witch shows and movies popping up. There's a witch movie out that's coming out soon. I cannot remember the name. It's They're black. Um, if I remember, I'll put it in the show notes. Someone was just telling me about it and I, I watched the trailer. Uh, but, like, there's about to be just, I mean, it's marketable right now, like, and not just being a witch is being is marketable and like interesting and mainstream, but being a black witch, being a black bruja is in. You know, this whole reclaiming our shit is in. Like people are taking notice of the fact that we are trying to um reclaim and be a part of our ancestral traditions. And you know, anything that we do is always just gawked at in amazement and then people want to profit off of it so they knew that this was happening and they knew that they can make a movie or a show about this and they knew that people would watch it because they know that we are thirsty for our stories to be told we're thirsty for media we're thirsty for representation we're thirsty for just our shit but it was just not our shit and I don't even know why we even thought that our shit would be on Netflix, but that's a whole nother thing. But like we was, we was just so thirsty for it and it just did not deliver in the ways that people hoped that it would. I didn't have any expectations to be honest. Cause like I said, I'm not a TV person. I just kind of like, Oh, it's a Blackwood show. I watch it for the podcast. <laughs> that's why I watched it. Um, and so with this like mainstream attention, there's going to be so many more movies and shows and documentaries and books and studies and you know I've already been reached out someone already reached out to me around um a paper doing a a research paper in a doctoral program about this this um this moment in time that we're in of Black people, especially black women, but black people in general, reclaiming ancestral traditions. And like, also, that's why this podcast exists, because I saw that there was a need to talk about this, to bring light to it and to call other people and to start doing this work. And so the media sees that, too. And I mean, like movies, like podcasts are media. And white people see that, too, with money. And this is a new way that they can get money. And I'm trying to figure out how us black people who are doing this work can get paid off this. Like, I don't even know if that should, and, and also not even just get paid off this, but become centralized in this narrative and create our own media around it or get the bread to be able to produce our own shit or get the bread to even be able to inform some, even some other black people who are doing this work. Like, how can we, how do we secure that bag? Because that's our bag. <laughs> and the stories are always going to be better if they're from our mouths. And if they're from and about the people who, who like, you're claiming to portray. Like, that was not a black-ass story. Always a witch is not a black-ass story. It's a, a story with a black woman. 
with one black woman in it. And so how how are we trying to figure out how to steer this narrative a completely different way? And also like, like, I don't know. It's just beyond beyond like securing the bag, there's there's just there's a lot of energy with this. And so we have a choice right now that we have a moment in time to decide how we're going to use this energy. Like all eyes are on us. So what are we going to do? Are we going to shut people completely out? Which like, I'm not against being like, no, you can't come to us with any of our stuff. And we're going to allow all your fl- shows to completely flop because they're not accurate representations of us. We're not in them. We're not in the rooms. When you're talking about them, you haven't reached out to us about our practices and showing them in respectful ways and, like no one told them that they that that prayer would be weird to use in that moment. That prayer, that Yoruba prayer, would be strange to use in trying to invoke chaos. Like, so what do we want to do with this attention? Like, I don't know. I don't know because part of me is like, shit, I gotta pay my bills. Like. If some of these people, if one of these people want to call me who's trying to come up with a show and they need some some advice or some support in trying to create a narrative that's actually real and and is accurate and will be sufficient, that's one thing. But then part of me is like, do I even want to do that? Is that like selling out in this way? Like what 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 like what to do? with this energy I don't know with these eyes and with all these black witch movies coming out can we even afford though to allow people to continue to tell our stories and we continue to be demonized and we continue to fall in love with our slave masters and we continue to not have autonomy and we continue to just we continue to be in scenes and opening scenes where we're being tortured like are we gonna allow that and then what are we going to do to not allow that anymore? If we're, if we're saying no, that's not okay, then how are we going to go about addressing it? That's that's what I think about when I when I was... That's what I was thinking about when I was watching this show. Like, damn. It's those of us out here really, like, doing this work. And many barely making it. But other people can like infiltrate our shit and make money off of it. Like that's the whole point of this podcast. Like because people are making books, people are posing themselves as experts of our traditions who are not of our traditions, and telling our stories and retelling the stories of our ancestors in ways that are not accurate or are not true. Like if you listen to the High John episode, people talking about white people using High John to like. White people using High John and writing about High John and talking about High John as if it's just a success route. Like, oh, this is a route used for success. Like, no, that route was used to combat and fight against white supremacy specifically. That is why High John exists. A creation of our ancestors to fight white supremacy. It is not a success route. Like, so it's like, what are we doing? Like, what... It frustrates me. Clearly, I sound frustrated. It's so frustrating. I think we have to collectively, continuously, like, denounce when this shit happens and say that we don't approve. Like, 
as someone a part of these communities who does this ancestral and spiritual medicinal work, I don't approve of this. As more of an authority over it than any person trying to make a movie about it who is not a part of this, who does not share African ancestry or have any idea what the fuck is going on and demonizes hella shit like they did in American Horror Story, demonize Marie Laveau. Like... This, I just, this is not how we were supposed to start Black History Month. You know, like February 1st, we, we thought we had a little show, Black Power, no. I denounce it, I rebuke it, I rebuke it. No one is speaking highly of this show. I think my critique was probably one of the best ones. Because <laughs> pretty much everyone else has been dragging it through the mud, understandably. I just recognized that there were parts that was like, okay, like that was cute. I appreciated that. I thought that joke was funny. Like I will give it that. There were moments, it was aesthetically pleasing to watch. It was quirky in parts, which I like that. I like that. But genuine, generally as a story, it fell flat and missed the mark and I'm very disappointed in it. Um <sighs> And I will continue to be vocal about about that. And I think that we have to in order to be able to, whether it's securing our bag or shifting the narrative around this shit, because this is ours, you know. We have ownership over this. And someone was pointing out to me on Instagram, like, you know, they would never have a story about a, um, like a Nazi girl or like a, a Jewish girl falling in love with like a Nazi, you know? And, and I was like, that's so true. And then I was like, well, wait, I actually think there are stories about that. <laughs> like, To be honest, I think there is a, a movie about that. But the point still stands. They're very, a lot more comfortable telling stories about black people that romanticize horror, our pain and trauma through like these weird Disney love shits that just is it's not true. It's not accurate. They're a lot more comfortable doing that than they are with other groups of people. And it's sick. It's sick. It's sick. It's like he's looking at her on a on a pla- on a on the fucking slave block while a man is talking about why all the ways that you you should buy Carmen she's smart and she's da 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 just like they did our ancestors and and that was the scene to set up a love affair that was sick oh my god it was so sick and then on top of that ain't nobody black (laughs) Baby, try again. Always a witch. Try again. And like I said, I'm going to continue watching it because I want to see how messy it gets. Try again. If you all are interested after this review, check it out. I know it's getting dragged everywhere. People tell me it's on Twitter. I ain't even on Twitter. I know it's getting dragged on Twitter. It's getting dragged on IG. It's getting dragged on Facebook. It's getting dragged everywhere. 
But let me know how y'all feel. I'm curious. I think there's a lot more critiques than what I offered. Someone also actually reached out to me and said that she they felt that the main character was sexualized in a lot of ways. And I didn't pick up on that necessarily. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, there's, I think there's so many critiques and I, I watched it, you know, late at night and was like taking notes and trying to enjoy it, but also like being slightly disturbed, but then also, yeah, I don't know. But, um, Check it out if you want. See if it's for you. Take what you like. Leave the rest if there's anything you feel, you feel that you can take. And yeah. Always a witch. That's Juju's 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 thoughts on that. That's that on that. All you need is a little juju. Okay, so last episode, I promised that I was going to answer some of my listener letters. So I'm going to read um, maybe two or three and answer them. So the first letter, also, I'm sorry it's taking so long, y'all. It's just my bad. Okay, so first Dear Juju letter is, okay, so I have a friend who's a medium who I met through Facebook of all places. She's really cool and does live readings all the time and offered to do a reading for me. It went well. After the reading, I went to bed shortly after and woke up to her messages about how I was in her house. I how I was in her house. I instantly thought of astral project projection and asked her what I did and how I was completely unaware of it. My question is, how does astral projection happen and how can I learn to control slash remember me doing it? She also told me I came to her in the form of a little girl who was very aggressive. Um, and then in parentheses, she says childhood sexual trauma. I might need to do some inner child work and I'm not sure exactly how. Sorry if this turned into a two-part question. Love the show and your energy. Thank you for your wonderful lessons. So thank you so much for reaching out and for this question. is a great question. Um, so if you don't know what astral projection is, it's basically a process of your spirit, your own spirit, leaving your physical body um, and traveling, <laughs> traveling to other people, to other realms, to other places. A lot of times when we go to sleep, our spirits travel generally. They don't stay within our physical bodies. They move about like spirits do. They move about. We are spirits and we are, the spirits are housed in the body and it leaves the body a lot when we're sleeping. Um, but astral projection is more like not just like traveling through dreams and like in the dream realm, but like literally spirit leaving. And so, um, so one time I remember astral projecting when I tried to give Reiki, long distance Reiki to someone and I didn't actually know how to give Reiki to anyone. I never was attuned in Reiki. No one taught me, but I was like, oh, okay, this is what I see people doing Reiki. So I'm going to try to do this long distance for a friend of mine. And I remember like doing the Reiki, whatever that was for me. And like, I remember leaving, like I remember leaving my body and I saw my friend. I was like hovering over my friend doing healing work over their body. And I was like, oh shit. And then when I came back, like my Ide, which is my, one of my sacred bracelets just popped off. 
And so I was like, um, I literally just saw my friend in the bed, exactly what they're doing. And I was healing them because I astral project and I didn't do it on purpose. And it can actually be really dangerous to astral project. So, um, to be honest, I don't do much astral projection. It's not something that I try to do. Um, I think it's definitely a good skill. Um, but it's not something that I've really studied much of. So I would actually just do some research online about how to do astral projection. Um, but yeah, that's definitely not something that I've crafted. Um, so yeah, just finding something that resonates with you online and like around astral projection. But I always say like, you know, your gifts become strong and you learn how to do these things literally with just like communicating with your spirits, communicating with your ancestors and like building your own, um, like your skill, your spiritual skill set up. And so I just would uh, say that you should do some research around it. Um, in regards to the inner child work, I believe I talked about that on episode two and heal yourself, but simply put, um, inner child work is just a process of going back to moments in your childhood where you may have needed love, you may have needed support, you may have needed some encouragement and giving your little self that encouragement that you needed. It's often the things that we think about that we haven't healed from or like sad or moments that we just had from childhood that were just not over. And so we have the capacity to travel back to those moments in our minds and feel the feelings that we felt in that moment and tell your little self like you are loved actually or you didn't deserve this or you um are beautiful whatever the message is message is we're giving ourselves that in that moment and then that helps chip away at some of the the inner child turmoil that we carry with us when we're adults and when we get older um so that's one of the ways that i have done inner child work and that's how it was taught to me so i would recommend that you try that out and i hope that that's um that was helpful for you and thank you for the question Okay, next question. Dear Juju, I'm writing to ask how spirits appeared to you when you first started your journey. In 2007, I started to see what looked like tiny white camera flashes every few days. I saw a doctor and they told me that it was due to trauma from a car accident I was involved in that year, so I brushed it off. Fast forward to 2013, I was introduced to Afrocentric views on spirituality from a professor of mine and started researching on my own. At this time, I learned to see auras around people and objects, as well as this yellow floral pattern whenever I'm in a room with white walls. The flashes persisted and started happening multiple times in a day and would appear in blue and white intermittently. Last year, 2018, I started to see these deep blue circles that lasted around three seconds, usually above my head or my TV. I also see what appeared to be fast-moving shadows from the corner of my eye. I'm not sure what to make of these, so I wanted to get your thoughts. Thanks for reading. I'm a big fan of your podcast with love. So thank you. I know I never know if people want me to read their name, so I won't read your name, but <laughs> thank you, love. So yeah, I like I sent the email back to you. It sounds like you're a you're a medium in some way, and it sounds like you're clairvoyant more specifically. Um, and so clairvoyant is the skill and the gift of being able to see spirits, being able to see auras, being able to see shit that most people can't see. That is what being clairvoyant is. And it sounds like a lot of people who are clairvoyant start off saying that they see flashes of light. Uh, they start off saying that they see, um, 
uh, shadows in the corner of their eye and they look and nothing is there. They see like orbits. So that is really a, a like that's a telltale sign of being clairvoyant. A lot of people who are clairvoyant and see full figures and full spirits generally start off seeing exactly what you are saying. Um, interesting. I'm, I'm not sure about the specific colors. Like if blue and white are things that you are colors that you need to pay attention to. But I would also start to look into maybe like color meanings and what colors mean to you or what significance that they may have and see what resonates. Um, and it's also interesting that you brought up that you started to see these things more after an accident, because I think um, a lot of people who have experienced trauma like or near death experiences or moments where they thought they were going to die, it's almost like something unlocks in your brain that just removes whatever barrier was there and allows you to sort of see through past the veil, meaning like past the, the things in the physical world, like you see, you walk down the street and see the street and see people and stuff. You can kind of see beyond that. And maybe it's because like you were in this moment or like having moments that were so traumatic thinking that you were going to die. And it's like, your brain is just, it, it sort of like unlocks or you become privy to what it means to actually move beyond like your physical body and recognize that like, oh, I could have died. And not you're not cognizantly thinking these things necessarily, but like your brain knows like, oh, I could have died. Like, so there's more to this life. There's more that I can see. There's more that I can experience because I almost experienced that because I, I almost died or I thought I was going to die or something. So I think it's really interesting when that, when people say they've been through trauma and then they start to see spirits or they start to see the flashes or the orbits and and things like that. So yeah, definitely. Um, it definitely sounds like you are a medium. So continue to work those gifts, sit with your people and your skills will develop <laughs> before you know it. Trust me. Thank you for that question, boo. I cannot find this question, but I know that somebody sent me a question a little while back about, um, hoodoo rituals or like how to incorporate hoodoo into a marriage ceremony. I know I didn't make that up, but I cannot find the question. But I just remembered it. And I was like, oh, that's very interesting. Um, so I'm sorry to this person that I never like emailed you back and that I don't have your name. So I, I just, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't find it. I know I'm not making this up though. I know I saw it. So I hope that you're listening to this episode. Um, so incorporating hoodoo into your marriage ceremony... So I'm not completely sure. And I know that there are ways for sure. I'm not sure. Based on my research, I saw that there's like, well, even before I did research, the first thing I thought about was jumping the broom. Just because spiritually, we know that our ancestors weren't quote unquote allowed to be married or marriage wasn't legally recognized under the state. And so that really didn't matter to them. They had their own ceremony and their own ways to have, um, their marriages be recognized by the community to be recognized by their spirits, God, or whatever you want to call them by themselves. And so jumping the broom is a common way that, I mean, black folks today and shit, non-black folks too, to be honest, um, celebrate marriage and kind of incorporate like a black, like a black aspect to a marriage ceremony. Sorry, y'all. So 
jump in the broom is a way that our ancestors used to acknowledge like, okay, we're, we're jumping from this side to the next side together, our merry side together. And so I always, you know, I think that jumping the broom is beautiful. And that's one way that you can incorporate, like even just beyond hoodoo, but just like some black ass shit, which basically is hoodoo into your ceremony. Um, I would also say, so when we're thinking about black ass weddings, that's pretty much how you would incorporate hoodoo into a wedding. It's a black ass wedding. So that includes like having food after. That includes people dancing and dancing to music and the camaraderie and the fellowship and the toasts. Um, I would also, maybe during the actual ceremony, because I'm kind of talking about after the turn up part, but during the ceremony, having um, the whoever's officiating, calling in ancestors into the space, the ancestors that you want to come witness this union um, and making sure that their energy is present, wearing... Um, items or heirlooms of ancestors or even people who are still alive like on you like so you're wearing your mama's necklace or you're wearing your great aunt's ring or xyz something like that um making sure that it's i mean hoodoo is really just about community and it's about the inherent things that we do that are just black and so when you think about the blackest wedding that you ever went to or the blackest, blackest wedding that you can imagine, you're imagining some hoodoo shit because it already lives in you. You know, it, it already is a part of how we think. It's already a part of how we move. It's already a part of how we've been, how we've just engaged with the world. And so you don't have to do too many things outside of that. Like, I just think of the blackest shit ever is the hoodooest shit ever, you know? Like the things that we understand is culturally black. So if have a black ass wedding that's gonna be a hoodoo ass wedding calling your ancestors um calling in the spirits and sorry y'all and um yeah that's it calling in the ancestors maybe bringing in stuff to in the ceremony that also reminds you of people who might have have passed and reminds you of ancestors um but yeah making sure they're a part of it pouring libation also you could do um, at the ceremony for those who can't be there and turning up that's that's some hoodoo shit <laughs> so if it's you getting married and I know I didn't make this question up so if it's you getting married congratulations and I hope you have the bestest blackiest hoodooiest wedding ever okay y'all I think I'm gonna stop there for today um but thank y'all so much for tuning in Again, you can find me on the social medias. You can find me on It's Juju Bay, I-T-S-J-J-U-B-A-E, um, on IG, Juju Bay on Facebook. And I ain't got Twitter, but maybe I should get one because I feel like maybe I should get one. But you can find me on IG. I'm always on there. Don't forget to rate and subscribe the podcast. Hit me up for a listener letter in my email, thejujubay at gmail.com. Or you can go to my website, itsjujubay.com and send a message there. And I can, you can send me a Dear Juju message there or questions or, you know, book me, you know, so come speak at your school, you know, whatever. Come speak to your class. Coins, trying to be booked and busy in 2019, period. So just... <laughs> I feel delirious. I'm so sleepy, y'all. But thank you for listening. I love y'all so much. I'm sending you all the good juju that I have. And all you need is a little juju. Later, y'all.